Kwanin, and welcome everyone to Live Dharma Sunday for October 2nd, 2016. Well, October, think about pumpkins. <laughs> Everybody's having a pumpkin latte or making pumpkin bread and things like this. I made some, uh, you know, how, how fast zucchini grows. And uh, so I got a lot of zucchini and made some zucchini bread for the first time. Just followed the recipe and tripled the recipe and froze froze a few loaves in the freezer for future use. Uh, yes, indeed. Oh, this is Koyo Kobosa here. I forgot to introduce myself. You know, at our sanctuary, oh, maybe last month or so, we had trouble with the toilet and it wasn't flushing properly. And boy, you know, such a common thing was a real sort of a project, I guess. And uh, this is an example of um, what might might be called little is big. I mean, something little, you know, it's just regular toilet, not flushing, but it becomes a big deal because, gee, you got to get it fixed. And uh, uh, I put a plunger and it didn't work. And so I went online, where, where else, get some help and it suggested getting this you know a special kind of plunger and how to use it so I did that and didn't help then I got a, a plumber snake and uh, that didn't help so I thought maybe I needed a longer one so I got a longer one 50 footer that didn't help and uh, somebody said that oh maybe you know, a vent that vents your your toilet and your, your your kitchen sink and stuff, and it all combined and it goes out in a vent to a pipe in the, on the roof. Sometimes maybe squirrels or birds, they drop acorns or things down, and if it piles up, uh, you don't get a proper venting. So I... So I went down in the crawl space to where to where all the um, <clears throat> ventilation and plumbing go runs, and I couldn't find any clean out place for that. Um, but I did go up there and put a screen on it on the vent uh, for the future. I couldn't figure out what was the problem, so I called a plumber, and they dropped by and. They checked it out, and uh, there was no problem inside the building. But as the drain pipe goes out, you know, we're on a septic system. So the septic system, somehow the pump wasn't working. Uh, and they, couldn't, they could figure that out because there's a little clean-out hole that's uh, outside the building. Um, and if you open that up, oh, a lot of water was in there. It usually should be empty, 
or at least flowing if there's water in there, but this was overflowing. That means that, you know, the the septic tank, uh, the pump there that pumps it out to the leach field uh, wasn't working. So I had to call the people that did the work that installed that, and finally they came out that it was uh, a problem in the, with the wiring in the little uh, electrical box outside that that uh, controls the septic pump. Well, <laughs> little is big. And as uh, one of our lay minister students called, uh, said, uh, don't take things for grant- granted. <laughs> that means don't take it for granted. Not G-R-A-N-I-T-E. Take it for something that's uh, hard and solid as a rock. Things change. Yeah. Well, uh, we take for granted that uh, you, you push up the handle and the things will flush, but okay. But I learned a lot. Indeed, I learned a lot about uh, how the system works and everything. And, um, you know, when we say little is big, this is an example of um, how opposites flip-flop. You know, something that's little becomes big or something that's big becomes little with the passage of time or changing the context and so forth, see. So uh, we have to have a wide, broad philosophical perspective on things. Uh, <clears throat> sometimes misfortune becomes fortune. Sometimes something fortunate becomes misfortune. Okay. Unimportant you know, becomes important. Okay. This kind of uh, thing might be called taking a wide perspective of things. Uh, in Japanese, it's the teaching takkan. T-A-K-K-A-N. Takkan which means a wide view, okay? That's why I think maybe many temples are on top of a mountain where you could see, you know, you get a wide view of things and you're not so caught up and victimized by uh, attaching, clinging to, over-clinging to something good or bad, fair, unfair, right or wrong, to the extent that you victimize yourself. Um, you can get a good perspective and have equanimity and be calm and see the big picture. Don't sweat the small things out. Well, I want to introduce, to give us a Dharma glimpse, uh, this is Kyle Kayo, and he was part of our Clay Ministry 7 group, and he lives in Arizona. And he came for induction a couple of years ago. So let's hear from Kaio Kaio. Thank you, Sensei. And hello to everyone listening. The title of this Dharma glimpse is Remember to Forget Self. 
And this odd phrase was influenced by another odd phrase that I read in Stephen Batchelor's book, Buddhism Without Beliefs. This book was a required reading during my study at Bright Dawn as part of the lay ministry training program. The specific quote from Mr. Batchelor's book is, one of the most difficult things to remember is to remember to remember. And when I read this phrase, it just jumped out at me because it was so strange. What Mr. Batchelor was referencing was the start of awareness begins with a conscious effort to engage in awareness. For me, this means forcing my ego back down so that I can start to see what is going on around me. And so I boiled this, phrase, this quote down to the phrase, remember to forget self. When I let go the I, the me, in a given moment, and remember the moment for the experience that it is, awareness becomes momentarily possible. But I have to remember to remind myself to let go of self. Otherwise, I simply get caught up in the I. And I imagine that sounds very confusing. And I'm going to try to illustrate that with something that I've been working on recently. Nature, because it is so much bigger than I, helps to bring this awareness to my mind. And much of my interactions with nature of late have involved yard work. I have a rose bush in my yard that I fertilize twice a year and water multiple times a week. I trim it back when necessary and guide it along a support trellis. I pull the invading crabgrass and try to keep the ground succulents abundant because they tend to starve off the grass, but their shallow root systems don't affect the rose bush itself. And in doing all this, I have developed a sense of pride in my tending the rose bush. Through my actions, it thrives and it blooms, yielding a beautiful scent with its large white flowers. It also acts as a habitat for a variety of insects and animal life. Spiders, gnats, lacewings, lizards, geckos, all live among the rose bush. Unfortunately, my ego, my I, has just claimed this entire ecosystem, giving me delusions of benevolence. The reality is the rose bush can live without my influence. It isn't easy, but it can absolutely survive. The insects and animals became a part of the rose bush habitat all on their own. I did not place them there, nor did I even think of them when I originally purchased the rose bush. I tend the rosebush not out of some great compassion, but out of a selfish desire to see and smell the flowers. My motives are far from altruistic. Would I exert so much energy if there were no reward? No, I really wouldn't. But if I stop myself and just appreciate the rosebush for what it is, then I begin to be aware of it. The rosebush is beautiful whether or not it flowers. Just as the Venerable Reverend Guillaume says, every day is a good day. My enjoyment of the flowers and the scent they provide do not make the rose bush beautiful. Its ability to survive extreme conditions, heat and cold, and still support an ecosystem around it, that is what makes it truly beautiful. Its beauty is its being, not in what I attribute to it being. This bush also serves as a teacher, and it now humbles me whenever I look at it. I am humbled because I used to see the rose bush as a beautiful and pleasant smelling thing with a purpose of self-enjoyment. But now I see it differently. 
the bush now acts as a reminder to forget this self that attaches to everything. And this lesson goes far beyond my yard. Losing this I, this ego, in my daily interactions with others is immensely difficult, especially in emotional situations. Reaction is easy in emotional situations. It's a habit, it spills out of me, and before I know it, I've said something that I shouldn't have. I've reacted in a way that was defensive, and I've offended someone else, and made myself look foolish. But when I can let go of this defensive I, the I itself, that awareness of the experience kicks in, and I notice that the other party is reacting too. I don't need to take it personal because they are dealing with a culmination of external influence that have brought them to this point today. I just happen to be the right person at the right time. And as a result of these insights, I can listen to their story and quiet my judgments. I don't get flustered as much because I'm not so focused on responding and defending my fragile ego. I just need to remember to remember that it is the experience of awareness that helps me to forget the I, to actually become aware of the experience. Thank you, Rosebush, and thanks to all of you for listening. May all beings be happy and healthy. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's really nice. <clears throat> you know, there's, as we think about nature being outdoors, um, that's a pretty big topic, the great outdoors. Um, uh, well, one thing that immediately came to mind is, is uh, yeah, if you if you have some problems uh, go out go outside you know um, of course you could take a little trip to visit a, a nice scenic place uh, but getting away and as we talked about you know, when you see the great outdoors or when you see this, somehow it puts into perspective what kind of problems you've been having, which sometimes you think they're big, but <laughs> they're little, you know, in the scheme of things. Because the reason it's problem for you is because they're going the way you want, you know. Uh, and it's hard to control those things, um, some things. If it's, well, by definition, if it's something, it's a problem that you could fix by yourself, yeah, go ahead. But <laughs> life you know, trips us up, or we trip ourselves up. Um, <clears throat> and then, as was mentioned in the Dharma Glimpse, you know, when you when you do say garden, it could become an ego trip, you know. I mean, that's, a, in a sense, becoming aware of this is a teaching. There's all kinds of teachings through gardening or, you know, tending plants or observing flowers. And uh, one of them would be, well, you get too much pride 
oh, look at my garden, look at this, and, you know. Um, or, of course, um, you might learn that control a lot of things in nature, insects or certain diseases or, or you know, um, or pests like deer or squirrels or something might might cause damage. Uh, or no matter what you do, you try your best, but, you know, if you're not an expert, they, they might not thrive. Uh, <clears throat> so you learn about perfection. If, you, if, <laughs> if you're a perfectionist, okay, and um, to learn to loosen up, right? Uh, and also, of course, you learn about impermanence in the sense that there's seasons. You learn that uh, to appreciate the beauty of a flower. Uh, um, you learn the meaning of a quote that uh, has has impact for me. Death is the mother of beauty. <laughs> yes. Oh, gee, yeah, it makes you think. You know, and um, I saw the movie Troy recently. Uh, it was a rerun. I have seen it before with Brad Pitt and he's uh, Achilles and and uh, Helen of Troy and the story, you know. And uh, Brad Pitt's character, he tells a friend, um, <clears throat> the gods. They envy us mortals because we're impermanent. Something to that effect. And so we really know, we really know how to appreciate every moment. Um, and that's, that was a pretty good philosophical line in that movie. Uh, I remember once talking about uh, you know, all flowers on the altar. You got a candle. You got things, and each objects that they can have teachings. And the flowers, since they're you know if, they, if they're real flowers, then they um, a lot of times they use cut flowers. Some people, you know, in charge of the altar or center or something. So, oh, we don't use cut flowers. We use potted plants, you know, and things like this. And you know, we could always keep going with our awareness. But anyway, if you see a flower on the altar, yeah, there's the teaching of impermanence because it's it's uh, not going to last. It's going to wilt a while. Okay. Um, one time I was talking about the. Uh, it was a speaking at I think at a Unitarian church. And uh, I was talking about these things, and I said, oh, pre-. so you have to, we really, that impermanence really makes us appreciate the beauty of that flower. And one person said, what about the insects? You know, and uh, maybe he was reacting to the, you know, oh, beautiful flowers, we appreciate it. And uh, I said, well, yeah, you, but you don't even have to bring up the fact that there's insects and, and, uh, 
all kind of uh, diseases that would affect flowers. Flower life is impermanent. It's going to become, you know, compost. And as Thich Nhat Khan says, when you see a flower, you should be able to see the compost and vice versa. When you look at compost, you should have takan, that wide philosophical perspective. So in that compost, you could see a beautiful flower, the potentiality of it. Okay? And uh, to know how the interdependency of all things are connected, uh, you know, he says things like you see a piece of paper, you should be able to see a cloud. Well, because this paper came from trees and trees need rain and the clouds make rain and <laughs> well um, <clears throat> there is a naturalness in nature the natural net nature naturalness that ness you know such ness oneness the quality of being and of naturalness being natural you know, uh, how you live like a flower blooms or live like the lotus going going in a muddy pond and all kind of teachings from nature or even just from flowers. And um, we learn something that uh, <clears throat> how to just live life. And uh, I, in, in, uh, there's a video that uh, Keith Cunningham um, Dharma Sangha member, uh, uh, cinematographer, just some years ago, but he made a, a video, Life of Oneness, that sort of uh, was a biography of my father. And uh, in this 20-minute in this video, Keith says, uh, you know, that Reverend Yomi Kubosa's his koan is, just live life. I had never heard that before, so I always remember that. How do you, koan is sort of like a thing, you know, something that is a puzzle, life puzzle that you cannot really answer to your intellect and, and rational logic. So, uh, it's a life problem solved on the life level. <laughs> life is not a mystery to be solved. I mean, not a problem to be solved. Mystery to be lived. How, how do you untangle that kind of a mystery that cannot be tackled by cognition and concepts? Uh, so there are a lot of different koans and a lot of books on koans. A new book came out. Someone was sent me, I think, green koans or something like this. Um, new collection contemporary style and things like this. But how about just live life? How can you just forget the self and just live life? That's all for today's broadcast. Till next time, keep going, and you have a wonderful day. <laughs>